0: Today we're at the, uh, at the studios of String Project Los Angeles, who's a, who's a very close friend of Yamaha Strings, and we're here with another friend of Yamaha Strings, Mr. Eric Holden, whose, whose resume reads a little bit like the uh, like the American Top 40 hits here. We've got Josh Groban and Five for Fighting and the Bodines, and so it's an exciting day. First of all, hi Eric, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Good, thanks. <laughs> we wanted to start our interview by uh, by letting people hear a little bit about your past and exactly where Eric Holden first learns to uh, to pick up a bass and how that decision got made and a little bit of that. So could you tell us some of that? Yeah,
1: it was, um, you know, I, I always felt like early on, I always felt like I got a late start. I didn't start playing until I was 16. And, um, you know, I remember as a little kid, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't start sooner because mu- uh, nobody else was was musical in my family, but um, but music was always just so important to me. The Beatles' White Album was a huge huge record for me. It was of my parents' small record collection that like I always went to as a little kid. Like I would I would want to hear Rocky Raccoon like day and night all the time. I'd break that record out and um and and even like you know when I was you know 14, I remember having. I I actually remember her name. Uh, having my heart broken, and uh, and having to listen to the Eagles' Long Run, like every day after school. That's all I did. And then and oh, then by the time what was her name? Come on, uh, Bev Witter. Oh, Bev Witter. Yeah. That's, that's um, cool. Funny that would come up. Um, <laughs> Maybe she's <laughs> listening. <then> hopefully, right? <laughs> I have my shot. Um, <laughs> um, and then you know, by the time I was sixteen, I was you know I was a huge ACDC fan a huge Van Halen fan and, and Zeppelin fan and um and and I had I had always, you know, theoretically I had actually I guess when I was about fourteen I had theoretically started a band with some neighbors of mine and my brother that we were gonna form a, an A C D C type band and have our own and, and make it. And no one else you know, no one else bought instruments, you know, and it took me a while but eventually I bought one. <laughs> and from that from back then I had the concept of like that I was gonna be the bass player. I was just always going to be the bass player and, and it still holds true so so when I was 16 I, I'd saved up my money or, or 15 and right around the time I turned 16 I went out and bought myself a bass and and, uh, and the guy was nice enough to give me a, um, a, a book of music along with it and it was uh, it was just like rock songs for uh, tab, you know it's all, all tablature rock songs and, uh, and Crazy Train was the first song I learned and then, and then right from there I, I flicked to um, so I Kisses lick it up and that was the second song I learned so
0: so it's a <laughs> so it's a heavy metal background right? it was that was where i was, I was I no jocko was past story in your background no. or anything well, no it took a while <laughs> There's definitely a lot of that too but it, it
1: took a while before i got to before i i got the jocko
0: listen to now who's your influences
1: you you know I mean kind of the same thing I mean I've kind of gone a whole a whole route of of, you know you know loving rock stuff and and pop stuff and then you know getting into jazz and and blues and and playing in blues bands and all sorts of stuff and and, you know right now my favorite player is still Paul McCartney you know he always always has been you know I just even when I was studying jazz for my first couple years at college I I remember being so disappointed when uh, in my jury one year when, when the teacher said oh man you guys you sound great man I really, you really sound great you know you're playing over the changes and you're nailing the changes and, and you know, you just you know you still sound like a rock player playing jazz and I thought man you know I was so upset at the time but you know the next semester I, I, I kind of came to terms with it and I was like that's okay you know that's who I am and, and it's okay you know so I, I, I still you know Paul McCartney is still my favorite I mean some I mean Victor Wooten, you know, was a big influence, you know. Um, Flea was a huge influence. When I was right around probably eighteen or nineteen and kind of, you know, coming out of that that really dedicated rock era and, and then he came out, I think the record was Mother's Milk that came out and that just blew me away. And that sent me into a whole other category and then learning higher ground and discovering Stevie Wonder, you know. And uh, and then that was a whole other world that got me to you know to R and B and Marcus Miller and and you know Willie Weeks and, and you know James Jamerson and, and all those
0: guys. So. When is uh, when is it that you've you really made the decision? This is what I want to do as a profession. It's...
1: Um, you know, I, I guess I was I was probably about twenty one or twenty two, and and um, my second band, original band that I had at the time that had broken up. And um, and I had always wanted you know, my bands to get a record deal like every other you know young player, and, and worked really hard at playing out and developing a following and having some success and some failures. And then, um, you know, at that point, I just decided, you know, I wasn't going to put my hopes into a band. I was just going to study. I was going to go to school for music. I was going to study. I was just going to be the best player I could and, and play as much as I could. And, and I was starting around my local scene in Massachusetts, starting to meet players who were making a living as session players and playing in the local scene and wonderful players, guys who were playing on records and guys who were touring and deciding to that's what I wanted to do and, and the best way to do that was just to, you know, study as hard as I could, be the best player I could, emulate, you know, all of my favorite players as best I could and, and you know, and take my chances. So that was that was right around that age, yeah.
0: No, we 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 first met you when uh, launched on your tour with Josh Groban. Yeah. Was, was that your was that your first big break, or did you have another one that was a personal big break that you feel was? You know,
1: I don't know. I, I think it. I would say that was my first big break, though. Though at the time it wasn't that big because um, you know nobody knew who Josh was. I didn't know who Josh was. Um, I knew that David Foster was working on it, so therefore it was bigger than yeah, anything I'd done. <laughs> I knew that much, and um, and what had happened was I. I went to Berkeley. I spent a few years at community college. and I went to Berkeley, and I played with everybody I could at Berkeley. I met some amazing players, amazing people, and and really dear friends to this day. And one of them was a producer named Kevin Hu. I was playing in a in a singer songwriter, and and the reason i bring it up is everybody asked me, "How did you get the Josh gig?" And uh and and I really have to go back and give him credit, because I was playing. I, w- I was fortunately asked at Berkeley to to be the bass player in a lot of like singer showcases and songwriter showcases where they would put together. Whoever's in charge would pick some of their favorite student players and, and you would back everybody up, which means you, get to, you got to back up some of the best singers and the best songwriters and the best musicians. And, um, and, and this guy, Kevin who was working with his girlfriend at the time, his wife now, Kareen May. And I met him through that and, and we just hit it off immediately and he said, man, I've got a bunch of smooth jazz tunes I want you to play on. Can you? I can't afford to pay you much. He pay me, I think, $15 or $20 a song. I said, yeah, sure, so, so I, would, I would go over to his place and record all the time, and, and then when I graduated Berkeley, he had moved out to LA, so you know, when I moved out here, I was still playing with him and playing on her records, and then this wonderful musician, Zach Provost, this incredible piano player, who had done an arrangement for David Foster or something like that, and, and David really liked him, um, Asked David asked him to put a band together for Josh, and he had heard my tracks that, that Kevin was producing. So he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said sure. It was, and I remember as I was realizing it was a, it was a bigger gig than uh, than we had anticipated. He he first said, "Do you want to do this gig? We're gonna we're gonna do a TV show." I said, "Oh sure, it'll be it'll be great. My first TV show appearance, it'll be nice." And then um and then he called me a week later and he said, "Hey, uh, how, how are the songs coming? Is is everything okay?" I said, "Yeah, yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be great. No problem. Okay." Then and he, he called me the next day and asked me again, and and I said, "What's what's going on?" And he said, "Well, David." You know, David Foster called and, and he knows everybody in the band but he said who's this bass player? Like, you know? Who is this guy? Is he, is he really going to cut it? And I, and I told him that you were good and I said don't worry I, I understand completely it's, it's not just you know my butt it's yours too and don't worry I'm going to nail it. No pressure. He said exactly so he no said pleasure. thanks so much I, I appreciate that you know and then, then he and I were actually from that first original band we played in Josh's band for about six years so
0: it seemed to work out well. I never want to let you down. Forgive me if I slip away. Sometimes From Josh, you moved on to kind of a sideways, where at least a forty five degree turn to, uh, did you go directly to uh, Five for Fighting at that point? No, I mean,
1: I guess while I was playing in Josh's band, you know, Josh, we had a year long, year and a half long tour. I think it was, you know, I mean, I started playing in 2001, and, and by the time we actually went out on tour, it was, we were, you know, starting to prepare for that tour in late 2003. So it was really just promotional dates, and there wasn't a tour involved until the 2004 tour. And during that time, I you know I played a lot of sessions and, and played around LA and around town and played a, a, a blues tour and um, as many people as I could, and had um, had formed this uh, indie indie rock band called the Bloody Lovelies, and um, and I think 2004 was kind of the year I always wanted to have where I was playing you know arenas with Josh and really big stuff and it was wonderful it was amazing, and then right from there. We do a 10-week tour and have five weeks off, and I would spend the following four weeks out in the van with the bloody lovelies, slugging it out in clubs. And we put our record out and we worked really hard and, and you know had some success and, and it was great. So then eventually when I guess it was uh, earlier last this year um,
0: was when I made the move to five for five. Fifteen when you only got 100 years to live so like a, like a lot of bass players you have a, a full tour a full toolbox when you uh, when you take the stage do you want to talk a little bit about what your um, what you're playing in your performances and and of course the Yamaha instrument we want to yeah. talk about that
1: i play i mean i've got you know, when I was playing with Josh and for Five for Fighting, I was trying to bring out two rigs: one for the upright, you know, the Yamaha electric upright, and um, and one for my you know electric base rig. And it was really nice when I was able to separate those two. You know, and um, you know I'm always a four ten guy, so I always have a four ten cab for my electric stuff, and then a combo for the upright, just like same type of combo I'd, I'd want to bring out with an acoustic upright or something, you know, really true to it, trying to keep as true to it as possible, and um, and each one has a pedal board. You know, my, my pedal board just changes with every tour at all. It depends what, what I need, you know, and I try to, if, if I'm going out and the job is to emulate the record, then you know whatever it takes to emulate that, and and if not, if the job you know if if there's freedom involved and and they want you know me to bring my you know more vibe to it, then I can bring all the tools out and all the tricks out and, and everything I can, but um but my pedal board these days of course has a volume pedal, um a big muff. I always play a, a big muff fuzz that I can mm-hmm. I can add on there and some rock stuff, um. EBS chor- chorus pedal with an octaver. I've got a. Moog bass Murph that I've really enjoyed. That's really cool, and, uh, and a movie analog delay, um, and uh, a Cutron, um envelope
0: filter, and and you know a bunch of stuff like that. Um, so as you're as you're performing and you're and you're recording, uh, what factors into the decisions that you that you make in when you're selecting your gear?
1: Um, you know when I when I first started, you know when I got the Josh gig and my and my first bigger gigs rolled around, it was really, you know, trying to make sure I'm playing is is great as the guys on the record. Nathan East is on the record. You know my job is to make sure you know Josh is really comfortable that he's got a cat on the gig who can nail the Nathan East parts. You know, and 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 that's the job. And and I and I got that. You know, thankfully I. I like to think I was successful at it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) big shoes to fill, but it, but it was also a great challenge, and nowadays, you know, nowadays I'm kind of, I feel like I'm at a turning point in my career where, you know, I'm just trying to make those decisions based on what I like, and what I, you know, what I want to bring to the table, and, and, you know, starting to get more calls for, you know, from people who want what I do and what I have to offer versus, you know, whether or not I'm good enough to, to cop Nathan East's gig, you know. <laughs> Which is like huge huge shoes to fill at the same time. But now I, I just want to do what what I what you know, what I love to do. And um and, and I felt really fortunate on the Five for Fighting gig that the first rehearsal I brought the, the Yamaha silent bass and John really dug it. He absolutely dug it. And I played it on all the ballads and and let him choose, you know, what he what he liked the most and, and 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 it was great. He was really involved in that. Like some songs, he just absolutely loved. And and I feel like some songs made the set, you know, because he loved that. You know, that was like it worked so well. It was so suited to certain tunes, and and then you know, the whole band loved playing them that much more. And um,
0: do you tend to use it for the just the the pure acoustic value that it that it has, or do you use effects? Or do you... you know, in
1: Fight for Fighting, I've been using it for the the acoustic value as you say you know and, and it was it's been wonderful on other projects you know I've been experimenting a lot more and it's a lot of fun I one of the things I mean one of the things I love about it is it bows really really nicely it records nicely and um, and the the bowing is just really really fat and cuts through and and there's um, when in the Josh band there's Josh's live record it's live at the Greek it's called there's a um, there's a song called Mimankarai It's a beautiful ballad. It starts off with with piano and violin and upright, and it just really jumps out nicely. And then when the whole orchestra comes in, it's still there, you know. And it's just it really jumps out, and it it fills the whole low end because there's the orchestra was like a seventeen-piece orchestra, and um, had two cello players and no basses, so it was really just me on the low end filling in. It's just
0: fantastic. So can you tell us what's up ahead for you with everything that you have going on now? Um, I can't imagine that you're planning too much for your uh, for your next great thing to to do, but um, I'm, I'm sure that something's there. So why don't you tell us tell us where yeah. you're going from here?
1: I, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about the the new Bodines record that's coming out. Um, we we recorded it over the last year or so, and and we're about halfway through when Tibo and Burnett got involved and. and is producing the record and, and finished the record and, and it just sounds fantastic I'm really you know really excited about it I've been a, a huge fan of the Bodine's for years and and I have been playing with them for two and a half years or so so I'm just really excited to be on the record and a part of it and I think it's a, a great record Kenny Aronoff plays drums and uh, and Noah Levy also plays drums on it it was fantastic and, and the band's been with those two guys switching off and me and Bucket Allen playing accordion and, and organs. The band's been together for, you know, since about those two and a half years that I've been in the band and it's just really tight and really, I'm, I'm excited about it. So the record comes out in March and then we'll be touring a lot in the spring and the summer.
0: Great. And, uh, and rumors of a, of a record label?
1: Yeah, I started um, a record label with um, my indie rock band, The Bloody Lovelies, in, I don't know, maybe 2003 or something. And we had put out our record that we were really, really proud of and really excited about, and um, and a bunch of major labels were interested, but nobody was really biting on it. So we decided we were going to put the record out on our own, and and ended up starting our own indie label, and and it just got on a roll. So we decided we were going to try and expand that, and did. And we signed a brilliant singer songwriter named Sylvie Lewis, and then uh, an- another named Gus Black, who his second record is coming out, and her second record just came out, and then we signed. Uh, uh, I think one of the greatest—they call themselves uh, punk and soul—but I mean, just the greatest rock and roll bands in in the country called the Bell Rays. Um, we have them on our label and put out a record last year with them and uh, and a brilliant jazz singer named Robin McKell, and that's been our best-selling record. Um, and now we've got you know a bunch of great artists. Jonas Policewoman has been getting a, a bunch of. Indie Raves and Rolling Stone and a lot of press, and she's just doing great, and, and we've got some other records coming out, so. My friend, Joe Ross, runs the label. He's, he's the other partner. It's Randy Wooten from the Bloody Lovelies, myself. And Joe runs, runs the whole label, really. And he, he's amazing, and, uh,
0: and it's just been going well. We have a
1: little studio in Venice that we record everything at, and it's wonderful.
0: Okay, it's time for the magic question now. Right. The, uh, well, first we want to thank you for, um, for taking time out to come down Absolutely. here. And, thank you. and meet with us and for being such a great Yamaha strings artist as well. But uh, we always end this with you with the, with the one question that everybody wants to know. What does Eric Holden order when he goes into Starbucks?
1: <laughs> the Starbucks question. You know, I have to confess it's not that exciting. I, I always get a small Americana. Always a small American. Straight ahead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Black. Two (laughs) sugars.